the Prince of Venezuela. Who do you think I mean? Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopters, the only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating films where helicopters explode. Now, prison movies aren't places that you typically look for exploding helicopters. The grey, featureless walls of detention facilities don't generally provide filmmakers much scope for airborne pyrotechnics. However, if you look hard enough, you can still find our favourite fiery trope, even in this most unlikely of film genres. So on this show, we're talking about one of those rare beasts, 2001's The Last Castle. And talking about desperate men forced against their will to do meaningless, unrewarding work, my guest (laughs) is a man who's wondering what he's done to deserve this punishment. With me once again is Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, Will. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you, you had a little gap, you had a little break, but now I am really making you work on these podcasts. You, you really are. I'm cracking the whip. <laughs> oh, man, this movie. Now, we are, now, obviously, The Last Castle is uh, is a prison movie, and uh, I kind of wondered, yeah, what's your, uh, you know, that's a, a well-worn film genre, so I wondered if you had any particular favorites in that particular genre. I mean, the default is always to say Shawshank Redemption. So oh. removing that one. <laughs> oh, what, Do you think what? that? I mean, I I I have a bit of a beef about that film. A, okay. It's the number one film on IMDb, which I just think. I disagree with, but I I, yeah. I just mm, I think that's a bit much. And I kind of think I mean, sure, I'm not I'm not saying Shawshank Redemption is a bad film. I just think that it's a lot of bits of other prison movies stitched together very well, but it just I don't know, it just feels like a whole bunch of stayed cliche. Well, that's a bit tough, but it does feel like a whole bunch of like uh, tropes and cliches knitted together stylishly, albeit. But for it to be the number one film of like film fans on IMDb, I just find that ridiculous. No, I absolutely agree. I I feel like Shawshank is the Forrest Gump of prison films (laughs) in that it's safe. And like you said, it pulls from all these different elements and puts it together with a nice pretty package with a bow on it. But just that, it's safe. It's You can watch it and sit down. Even when it gets into some of its darker elements, when Andy Dufresne is going up against the sisters and stuff, like it's they don't really show anything. They kind of pull back and you're just left with you know the ideas of what may or may not have happened. It's also one of those films that if I'm sitting down and it comes on, I'm probably going to watch it to the end. I, I don't know why. There's some kind of mesmerizing factor about it but like i said it's forced gump-esque in that anybody can just sit down and watch it and they kind of know what's going on you don't have to really think or i don't want to say be challenged by the work but there's nothing driving Mm. there's nothing it's just it exists kind of okay well that's that's shawshank done and burned by by the both of us so what (laughs) uh that's out of the way now so what yeah what are what's like another prison movie that uh that you particularly like one that I really like is Bronson, uh, okay. the 2008 Winding Refn film with Tom Hardy in it. Uh, granted, he's not in prison for the entire film. Uh, I think there's maybe 15 minutes where he's outside of the walls. But for the most part, he's in solitary confinement. He's going through. But it's just the presentation of the film, how it's this like kind of meta stage play mm. that breaks the fourth wall and uh, tells a very – um, visually appealing story of Bronson, be it I'm sure there is some true elements to the story, but I feel like a lot of it is like very ramped up and over the top and embellished. 
to have such a film. It was the film that introduced me to both Winding Refn and Tom Hardy. Well, no. Tech, well, we talked about it last uh, time we were together. Rock and Roll introduced me to Tom Hardy. But this film really solidified me as a Tom Hardy fan. And anything he's in, I'll watch it, be it good or bad. But there's just something about the film and the way they portray prison that it's different. And because it's so different, I'm just mm. drawn to it. Because when you see some prison films, like you expect certain scenes, and yeah, they'll hit all the beats. This one, you don't really know what you're going to get oh, because it's really it kind different, of just isn't it? It's really real whirly bird around the room. Absolutely. Okay, I think it's time to get stuck into the last castle. So let's listen to a trailer man sound alike try his best gravelly voiced intro. His career made him a legend. Three stars. They should be naming a base after the man, not sending him here. One mistake. Disregard of direct verbal orders resulting in the death of eight American soldiers. Cost him his freedom. What do you expect from your time here at the castle? Nothing. Do my time, go home. That is the perfect answer. Afternoon, sir. This thing that you're doing with your hand, if grabbing your hair, what's that? That was a salute. A salute? <laughs> no, I don't think so. What are you doing? Saluting amongst prisoners is prohibited. You get on Winter's bad side, you're done. I'm not fighting anyone or anything anymore. Dad, you're a great man. You've done so much for this country. Twice in the last year, there have been accidents. Where men have been hit in the head and killed. I've been hearing some pretty disturbing things about what goes on in here. But until you spend some time in the yard with those animals, you have no idea what happens in there. Don't put me in the hole! Eugene Irwin is one of America's top generals. But after disobeying orders, he's court-martialed and locked up in a military prison. At first, Irwin just wants to serve out his time, but he quickly finds himself engaged in a battle of wills with the prison's disciplinarian warden, Colonel Winter. When Irwin witnesses the mistreatment of soldiers in the jail, he engineers an effort to take over the prison and end the inmates' injustice. The Last Castle stars Robert Redford, James Gandolfini, Mark Ruffalo and Delroy Lindo. It was directed by Rod Lurie, who filmed The Contender, uh, the remake of Straw Dogs and Deterrence, which is quite an interesting film. Uh, the Last Castle has a 6.9 rating on IMDb and a 74% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, critics were rather tougher on the film, but uh, as always, let's find out what my guest made of the film. So, Nick, what did you make of The Last Castle? I thought it was fine. The performances across the board are solid. Everybody does a really good job with the material that they have. I found a couple problems with it, and at times I just kind of – I didn't find it believable. I just I thought it was like – not a fairy tale, but it was just kind of absurd and silly at points. And, and like where's the gravity behind it? And I something just felt off about it. But like I said, the performances are great. I really liked Clifton Collins Jr. in there. I'm watching this movie. I'm like, I know this guy. I know this guy. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. And and so to see some faces like that, I didn't know Mark Ruffalo was going to be in the film. That caught me off guard, and that was a welcome surprise. Delroy Lindo, again, from our previous film that we watched together – not watched together, but spoke of together, <laughs> Sahara. So I'm hoping that there's future films with Delroy Lindo in it. But I, I thought it was fine. I, I you know, it, I would probably be right in line with the IMDb rating of a six nine, maybe a little bit higher, like a seven seven one. But it was fine. Nothing to go right home about. Well, I'm kind of in a similar place to you. I mean, I thought this was a pretty 
I thought this was a good movie, maybe even sort of a very good movie, but you know, it's got it's very solid, it's got good actors, and there's some interesting themes at work here, but there is somehow there's something missing in this movie and I was trying to put my finger on quite what is the the missing element and I think the missing element for me is just doesn't quite feel like the stakes are quite there like I don't really feel enough jeopardy or I and I don't really feel like you know there are enough the consequences if Robert Redford doesn't succeed in what he's trying to do I don't really feel that there are that the consequences of him not succeeding are quite fleshed out and I, I, I think it's maybe something to do with that about why it didn't land and it kind of sounds like you had a similar experience with your take in the sense that you know there was something missing from the film so I mean yeah are you able to sort of put your finger a little bit more uh, definitively on, on what it was what it was lacking for you? Honestly, I can't, but I like your point of there's no real stakes to the film. It felt like in a lot of scenes that they were pushing it enough in order to get to the next scene or, or just enough to advance the plot. They didn't really hunker down and, and, and I guess sort it through and figure out what they were going to do. There's a lot of moments that just don't really have a payoff and just don't seem to go anywhere. Kind of like, what's the point of this? Uh, we already know what he's going to say. Like you said, no real stakes to it. So after a while, I just kind of went, you know what? The story doesn't really matter. I'm just kind of watching these actors do a really good job of acting. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it, the, the whole issue of stakes is quite interesting because – you know Robert Redford you know arrives at this prison and he just wants to serve out his time when he gets there but then he fairly quickly sort of realizes that the guy running the prison is a you know is a bit heavy-handed and then he's then told that actually some inmates previously were sort of killed by the prison guards as a result of the the warden's policy and then um, after a period of time he actually sees the the warden basically order the assassination or execution or the killing of one of the of one of the inmates and i don't know this that that just doesn't quite you know so it's there in the film you know you can see that james gandolfini running this prison is clearly a bad person you know he's he's ordering you know one of the prisoners to be killed but somehow it doesn't land somehow it doesn't uh, you know i was just left completely nonplussed by that and it's it's weird I, I found it weird that that just doesn't have any resonance. Well, I think it's because it just feels so forced. It's always, it's just things are taken to such an extreme so quickly. I mean, if you look in the beginning of the film when I can't think of his name, um, older white guy with like a beard, he's putting some rocks on a wall and Aguilar comes over and he's like, oh, you know, you got to do this with the wall. He's like, no, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. A couple of derogatory words and slurs. And they get back to work and everybody's just kind of on their separate way and against and against one another. But then 10, maybe 20 minutes later, all of a sudden they're just their buddies now and they're okay with each other. There's no gradual arc or change or development. It's just, and we feel this way now. And all of a sudden this character's changed and that one's changed. There's no, it's just sudden and it's just, you're supposed to believe this change. There's no gradual we're walking there there's no believe it but you can't grip into it and identify with the situation because it's already past you and we're already moving on to the next scene and again it just goes back to leaving something to be desired it leaves no stake there's no there's no real tension in the film either like Mm. whenever Gandolfini and Redford are in the room together 
I always felt like Redford had the upper hand. I never felt like Gandolfini had one over on him or anyone for that matter. So even in moments of peril, I, I'm like, oh, he's going to get out of it. He's going to mm-hmm. get out of it. Like there was never like, oh, man, I don't know. Like I'm, I kind of hope he gets out of it. It was never like that. I think that's a really good point. There is a, there's a, there is just no jeopardy in this film, and I think that hurts it. And I think that's why it doesn't feel. I think that's probably what that the element that is missing, and why, despite there being quite a lot of good stuff in this film, why it just doesn't. Why neither of us feel it is quite as good as perhaps it should be. Yeah, agreed. No, I totally agree. And it's nothing against the actors. It's just that's the story. That's the script they were given. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're just working with what they've got there. I don't. Yeah, definitely don't think it's something that you can lay at the doors of the actors. It's it's definitely something that is that is missing in the uh, the script and the story. But one thing that I did want to talk about definitely is um, some of the themes of this film because it really sort of focuses on this sort of battle of wills between Gandolfini and Redford and in the the conflict between these two characters is revealed the the film's major theme which is about uh, leadership so I wondered how you felt that played out through the film I I feel like it might have played a little bit I, I don't think it was It didn't feel like a theme so much as a demonstration. It was, hey, if you collaborate (laughs) and build up your team and, you know, positive reinforcement, firm but positive reinforcement, good things can happen. People collaborate. People work together. If you just rule with an iron fist, sure, stuff's going to get done, but the quality of life's not going to be there. So thematically, I would say it was very shallow. Like we didn't really get deep dives to see like – we just did, we, yeah, we didn't get a deep look at it. It just kind of was just there. Uh, I I get your point. I think there was a bit more to it than that. I, I do think you you have a point about the 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 theme of leadership perhaps being more of a demonstration rather than a debate because uh, you know in this in this film you have the contrast between the two characters. So you've got Gandolfini as this uh, by the book officer it's implied in the in the film that he's um you know whilst he's in the military and running this prison he's somebody who hasn't actually seen active service and he's somebody who demands respect and that's contrasted with robert redford's character who is this uh, war hero he's been decorated multiple times and he's somebody who earns people's respect and so you can see within the film you can see gandolfini trying to lead by manipulating people and instilling fear whilst Redford is trying to lead by instilling pride in people and providing leadership through his own personal um, example and ultimately it's about uh, Redford is about trying to find the best in people and Gandolfini is about trying to to lead via the worst in people but um you know I, I and I think that there's some interesting ways that that is is done in the film so you have this this wall that the prisoners are building and one of the one of the ways in which Redford starts to you know show his leadership is by getting these men to to take pride in their work and rediscover their own their own self-respect and that's contrasted with Gandolfini who is you know manipulating the the schedule of the of the prison like when uh, when rec time ends and when you know kind of dinner time uh, begins or ends and he's always making people wait a few minutes before he speaks to them because he's just about he's just about sort of you know um, exerting his power 
so I, I you know I, I think there's a bit more interesting stuff in terms of in terms of leadership uh, in this particular film I don't know if I've convinced you with any of that you know what you kind of did especially <laughs> when you brought up the whole time portion of it because as soon as you said that there are many moments in the film like you pointed out where he says five minutes or two minutes or this or that or he kind of goes by the clock and even there's times uh when he was asking for the chow horn they're like it's not for another 10 minutes and he he wants it then and there so i i can see your point going back to the point that we were talking about previously which is about why this film doesn't quite work and when i was thinking about why it doesn't quite work i was thinking Maybe it's because of your own expectations of this film. So, you know, we've all seen umpteen prison movies where there's some sort of sadistic warden running a prison. A new prisoner comes in and there's a conflict and somehow the the prisoner is able to, um, I don't know, escape from the prison or is able to engineer the downfall of the prison warden and, you know, secure kind of just treatment for, for the prisoners. And whilst that element is part of this film it's not i don't think meant to be the major part of this film it's meant to be this examination of leadership and so i wonder if it's actually sort of the focus of because this film is focused on examining something else but it's kind of working within a sort of the tropes of another of another film it, that's why it doesn't feel like it quite satisfies because it feels like it's falling between two stools that's a really good point, especially when both of them seem kind of thin, because when a lot of films with their sadistic warden, it could be just systemic abuse or he's running drugs. There's an abuse of power somewhere, and there's always a random event that happens that affects the new prisoner in some way, shape, or form to get him to rise up. In this case, it was everything going on with Aguilar, but what got the warden – to go against him in this film, to me, was really flimsy and kind of flawed mm. to begin with. It's when they first meet, and he says, hey, I, I've got this book that you wrote. I'd like you to sign it. He goes to get the book, and then you got Redford looking over these um, trinkets and artifacts, and he makes an offhand remark saying, you know, my dad says a man that collects artifacts is a man that's never seen real war, etc., etc." And then Gandolfini gets a bug in his butt, and he's annoyed at him the whole time, like, oh, well, I'm going to show you what – like that's that's your reason that's your reason for getting at him for for shooting a man in the head mm. for like you know doing all the things that you then proceed to do because he talked about your artifacts and your trinkets you you're a free man that's not a good enough reward for you knowing that there's people locked up because of poor decisions they made and you're able to run a business and and live a life outside of the walls whereas they're stuck with not a lot of rights to mm. them like that just seems really, really thin to me. I think the other half of what of that is also why would Robert Redford say something like that? It's a really douchey thing to say. Yeah. Like I, I just, it's inexplicable. He may be thinking that in his own mind, and he may believe that, but I just don't think in that moment he would he would say that because he's in he's in James Gandolfini's office, and yeah, as an inciting incident between two characters, it doesn't feel like it. Are sort of serious enough to, to start this conflict of wills and also it's just like why would Redford even say that it doesn't it just it doesn't really uh, that they needed to come up with something better to to be the grit in the oyster that, that starts to cause this uh, you know the kind of the fracture in the, or the kind of the, the the way that they rub up against each other the wrong way 
Absolutely. I mean, granted, he comes off a little cold in the beginning when he's saying, look, we don't have ranks. We're just prisoners here. I don't want to hear or talk about this kind of stuff. And eventually he warms up, becomes the general and the man that he is, and he leads his men to stage an uprising. But for him to say something like that, how old is he? How much experience does he have? He knows a better move unless his whole plan from the beginning was to go in there. And cause a ruckus, which I highly doubt. I mean, yeah, they, you know, the chess parables in there. I mm. get it, but like you said, that's that's a very poor decision, and that's that's unlikely to happen. And I think, you know, I have a few problems with, you know, characters' motivations in this in this film, and I, I have um, some problems with some of Redford's motivations in in this film because when he arrives in this prison, he says. I just, you know, I just want to do my time, classic prisoner stuff. I just want to keep my head down, do my time and get out of here. You know, so initially he starts to see Redford's character, starts to see some of the the mistreatment issues that are going on in the prison. And but he initially doesn't want to get involved because he just wants to to do his own thing and get out of there. And he's got a whole backstory of how he previously got involved in a in a in a in a, in a kind of military decision that he shouldn't have got involved in and it, it, the consequences were that people died so there's a sort of an element to his backstory of well the last time i kind of stuck my neck out it cost people their lives so he again that's another motivation for him not wanting to get involved but there's a there's a weird scene which doesn't i don't really know why it's in the film where redford's meets up with his daughter and his daughter basically disowns him she says oh you know you you've you've been a terrible father you were never around and you know i don't really want to now that you're in prison i don't really want to kind of have any contact with you it's it's sort of too difficult and that scene the reason i mentioned that scene is because it almost feels like after his it's only after he's disowned by his daughter that redford starts to take an interest in the men in the prison and it's like well i might as well sort of entertain myself by making myself the leader of these men in the prison so I, I, I that's not a real commendable motivation for for redford it's almost like he's driven by his own vanity and the kind of a a sort of gap in his own his own personal life yeah no i totally agree that scene felt so out of place because it was just so sudden like he's like yeah you got five minutes because he was late getting there for who knows what reason and then he goes to start the conversation like you said she's like i can't do this it's like where is this coming from? We don't know a lot about the guy. He's a mystery. Slowly we find stuff out about him, sure. But even then, we don't really find out everything about him that we'd like to know. I mean, there's a scene later on where – and this touches on the vanity. There's a scene later on where he's meeting with uh, Delroy, and he's talking about – he's like, you know, you didn't have to be here. We could have you know, figured something else out. It's like he wanted to go there. Why? Like what is the motivation for that? It's – just a lot of background decisions and character history decision made for him just doesn't add up to the guy that he becomes or I guess the status that he returns to. Just a lot of things now that I really like sit and think about it, they just don't make sense. I mean I just kind of chalked it up to ah, – you know, they're trying to have some type of emotional investment like, oh, he's doing it for his daughter or, oh, you know, he's yeah. a man of – honor and stuff but now that we kind of sit and really take a look at it it's like it no it just doesn't make any sense it's just kind of ham-fisted feel this emotion no like it it's not adding up because the, the the turning point for redford i i guess is meant to be the death of the aguilar character the the of uh, clifton collins jr and redford 
great as an actor as he is and as good as he is in this film i don't really get any sense of moral outrage of him seeing this soldier be murdered in front of him for really this prison warden trying to get one over on on robert redford he doesn't you know you know redford's takeover of the prison feels like an intellectual exercise rather than something that he's doing born of the mistreatment and the kind of injustices that he's witnessed i I don't know if that's i don't know if that makes any sense to you and it's something you kind of see in the film as well no absolutely there's no heart in it he just stands there and watches it happen now granted he's a general he's seen some things in his life but after a while, you got to think, like, if I'm watching that happen, like you said, I'm going to explode and I'm going to start fighting this guy. I'm going to show some type of reaction. Now, it would be that kind of reaction where he gets sent to the hole and then Gandolfini comes sulking on in and says, you know, it didn't have to be this way. You put yourself in the situation, you know what I mean? Kind of turn the tables. That's how you build all of a sudden, you know what, I'm going to take this over and take it away from you because you're a monster of a human being and you need to be stopped. Instead of, like you said, it feels like more of an intellectual exercise, like I got nothing better to do while I'm in here. So let me just do this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we're kind of picking a lot of holes in this film, but we should probably we should probably end by taking a look at some of the actors in here because there are uh, you know as we've already mentioned a lot of um, very good actors in this film and i think for the most part they do some some really good stuff here so uh, yeah who stood out in the the cast for you it was uh clifton collins jr who i really enjoyed it was nice to see him in a role like that and then seeing mark ruffalo become i, I felt like he was ruffalo before ruffalo <laughs> Unless, uh, which is, hear me out. You're going to have to explain yourself. (laughs) When growing up, I had only ever seen him in certain type of roles. Um, But then to see him in such a, well, maybe that's that's just my short-sightedness and I didn't see it before. But I feel like the Ruffalo that we get here, we don't really see him again until later on in like, say, Zodiac or Shutter Island. Or, I mean, Shutter Island's not a great example. But even up into, what's the one he just, Spotlight. Like just this very, not necessarily brooding, but this intense character who knows what he wants, who knows how to play the game in order to get it done. That's the Ruffalo I like to see. And like I said, we don't, we don't, we only get spurts of him every so often. We get him in this and, you know, like I said, in Spotlight Zodiac and kind of stuff. So to see him come out like that, it's really, really nice to see because you can see him in all kinds of, you know, goofy films and, you know, lighter comms. And obviously now he's um, the Hulk. Mm. So, I mean, obviously people are going to see him as that more than anything else. But to see him in this kind of role, like I'm, I'm for it and I, I really, really like it. I really liked uh, James Gandolfini in this particular film. I thought he was really good, actually, in the in the role of uh, Colonel Winter, the warden of of the prison, because I think he he underplays that particular role uh, really well. Because I think the, you know the danger is if you're this sadistic prison warden is you know you start veering t- perhaps towards the over the top end of the spectrum of acting but um he's very um he's very um sort of internalized he's very quiet and very controlled in his actions and i think he he grounds that character in a way which i think is really helpful to the to the plot which makes this character who's who's engineered we're told 
two, three deaths of prisoners who's been responsible for, you know, multiple injuries of uh, other prisoners whilst he's been in charge of there. But it kind of grounds that character in a way you think, actually, you know, here's somebody who possibly could get away with it. He makes it kind of believable that he has got that kind of track record in a way in which, you know, if you, somebody goes in there and, and perhaps chews scenery a bit more, you just think, yeah, in a in the military, I just don't see this guy getting elevated to that particular position. Yeah, no, and if anything, it almost seems like he kind of fell into it. Like, none of what he did was purposeful. It just kind of happened that these things happened, and he said, you know what? I'm going to have to continue to be this and roll with it in order for me to have my staying power and have this type of authority over others. It does. It never feels like and, – and again, this comes back to whenever him and Redford are in scenes together, never feels like Winters is in control, always feels like Redford's in control. So, yeah, I'd have to agree. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases. We don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This occurs at the end of the film as the prisoners are attempting to take over the jail. To quell the uprising, Colonel Winter orders in a helicopter. However, the inmates have anticipated its arrival. As the chopper hovers over the prison yard, the inmates fire a grapple hook at the whirlybird. A prisoner climbs up the chain now dangling from the aircraft and climbs aboard. Uh, he quickly knocks out the pilot and assumes the control uh, controls. He then deliberately swings the tail rotor of the helicopter into a guard tower, destroying it and the rear of the chopper. Without the tail of the uh, helicopter, it spins around wildly before crashing into the ground where it ultimately explodes. Nick, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? I was I was disappointed. Um, what? At, at first, I know. At first I was disappointed. Then I got excited only to be let down again. To... <laughs> <laughs> to see the grappling hook coaster. come in, I, I, it really was because to see the grappling hook come in, I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's see what happens. He climbs aboard. Okay, uses the helicopter to destroy something else in a creative way, not necessarily firing the gun or missiles or you know uh, a kamikaze type, but to just see the tail whip around. Okay, that's cool. Hits the ground, doesn't really just explode into a fireball like I was hoping for, but it eventually does. I don't know. If, to me, it felt like a very uneven explosion. I guess when I saw the grappling hook, my mind went one way, and when it didn't happen that way, I got a little disappointed. Wow. I mean, you're a tough man to please. I mean, I <laughs> I thought this was a great exploding helicopter. I thought it was marvelously convoluted with this grapple hook being fired at the helicopter in order for for Mark Ruffalo to to shin up the uh, shin up the chain that is now dangling from it and to climb on board. I mean, as a plan, it did require a lot of things to go right, which 
you know, Almost I'm prepared. Too many. I, I think for any degree of credibility, it was far too many. But I was prepared to go with it because I knew there was going to be an exploding helicopter at the end of it. So I was totally willing on board. And yeah, so you get that kind of convoluted uh, sequence to get Mark Ruffalo on board this helicopter. And then he uses the tail rotors to uh, to kill this uh, the, the sadistic uh, prison guard who's been uh, shooting all of these guys. Then you get a good scene of Ruffalo at the controls of the helicopter sort of you know i do like those scenes where pilots are wrestling with the controls of a damaged uh, helicopter and yeah then it crashes into the ground rolls over a few times ruffalo is rescued by redford and then as they're running away the whole thing explodes in a really massive fireball i mean i thought you know it's it's you know, it's not you're not just watching. I mean, I've seen an umpteen helicopters be exploded by somebody firing a machine gun at it or firing a bazooka. I mean, this is, as I say, really convoluted. But you know, it's something new. It's something different. I don't know. You know, what more? What, what more do you? What do you? Are you just a sort of you know Bob basic exploding helicopter guy? Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm I'm not a basic exploding helicopter guy. Come on, I just thought. <laughs> I, I guess I expected a bigger explosion. And like I said, I thought it would go one way and it went something else. But rather than be excited that it went a completely different way instead of the standard explosion, I guess I got a little deflated about it. Well, I think you are probably in the minority of uh, opinion on this particular exploding <laughs> helicopter because this this uh, sequence was uh, – this film did get uh, nominated for a number of tourist awards, which are kind of big uh, stunt community uh, awards. And so this hmm. film got nominated for uh, Best Fire Stunt, which it won. And it also got, it got nominated for Best Aerial Work and Best Stunt Sequence, which was the – the kind of the climactic uh, prison yard battle so the uh, the professionals within the stunt community thought that this was one of the best uh, films of the year and th- this sequence including its exploding helicopter was uh, right up there as uh, one of the best of the year maybe i need to watch it again <laughs> but i still hold firm that it was a little uneven whether you liked it or not, you did watch something that was was fairly unique because exploding helicopters don't turn up in many prison movies. Now, I don't know. Can you think of another prison movie which features an exploding helicopter, Nick? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't. I'm sure it's something from the 70s. Um Maybe even the 80s. But well, you know nothing... what? Your gran has probably watched this film. Oh, okay, so it's a Steven Seagal film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. She's probably I, got it on DVD. Nothing, nothing's jumping out at me. What uh, What's the film? It's uh, Half Past Dead. Oh, okay. It's uh, from the uh, unfortunate period where uh, Steven Seagal was constantly being teamed up with uh, rappers. And in, in this film, he goes uh, goes undercover into a uh, prison to find some uh, missing gold and uh, so i'm looking this up and she definitely has this one (laughs) (laughs) well if you want to yeah that's the only other prison movie that i am aware of that uh, that features uh, an exploding uh, helicopter so uh, there are despite prison movies they are not places you would look for them but they do crop up there but uh well, one final thought that uh, that I want to uh, to leave you with, with in terms of the exploding helicopter, which I thought was a was a good good bit of interesting bit of trivia, which was that um, 
you know, the kind of director of this film was, you know, he'd had this whole sequence with, you know, Ruffalo climbing on board, destroying the guard tower. And then obviously the damaged helicopter crashes to the ground. And the, and the director, Rod Lurie, was he, he kind of thought, oh, you know what, maybe it's a bit too much to have the helicopter explode maybe it should just like crash into the yard and the wreckage you know it just crashes into the yard and the wreckage is there but Mm. apparently the stunt coordinator on the film guy called mick rogers apparently he said look audiences would actually be disturbed they would be distracted from the film if this helicopter doesn't explode like they expect it now in films so we've we we've got to blow it up anyway and i kind of thought that is really fascinating that now filmmakers feel such pressure when they've got helicopters in their phones. They feel, you know, when they've got helicopters in films, they feel boxed in. They feel, you know, if, if there's any reason why it's crashing on the ground, we probably, you know, if we can possibly afford it, we've got to blow this thing up because, you know, we're going to be taking audiences out of the film if it doesn't explode. I mean, it's like Chekhov's gun. You see the gun, you got to use it. If you see the helicopter falling to the ground, it's got to explode. Amen to that, brother. Right, I think it's time to wrap this show up. Nick, thanks for joining me once again. Do you want to take a moment to pimp out uh, your stuff online? Absolutely do. Uh, you can always find us over at FrenchToastSunday.com. We've got reviews. We've got fun insights. We've got fun little – just fun little anything over there. We also have the podcast, the French Toast Sunday podcast that gets released I feel like it's on Thursdays. It could be Fridays. I don't know. I just kind of edit them, pass them on to Lindsay, and she puts them out. We're all very excited. We're taking just a little bit of a break. Then we're going to be jumping back into it after the new year starts. So very excited to look forward to 2019. A lot of new content, a lot of new ideas, and uh, a lot more movies. Cool. Now, I know you are listening to the podcast, but did you know you can follow Exploding Helicopter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Letterboxd? I mean, it's very possible you did know this and you have made the entirely rational decision not to expose yourself to any more of our nonsense. But perhaps you lead a particularly empty and meaningless life, in which case, let us fill that void. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. When you first arrived here, I asked you a question. Apparently, I need to ask it again. What do you want from your time here at the castle, Mr. Irwin? And my answer is the same as it was then. Do my time, go home. So you say, but everything you have done has contradicted that. These men are not here for unpaid parking fines and traffic. I'm under no illusion why the men are here, Colonel. I just think they might be reminded about some of the good things they've done rather than only the worst. Yes, that, that, is, that is something my predecessor used to say. Uh, in his last two years here, there were seven escape attempts, 12 injury assaults on officers and NCOs, including one killed. Since I've assumed command, there have been zero escape attempts, zero injury assaults, zero fatalities. Some may question my methods, but they do work. No soldier has ever died needlessly under my command, Mr. Irwin. 
See, I too share the burden of command. You may not think that I've ever set foot on a battlefield, but that's because you have never sat behind this desk, this desk. My men and I are vastly outnumbered. We spend every day behind enemy lines. Because make no mistake about it, Mr. Irwin, they are the enemy. But I don't need to justify myself to you, do I? I don't know. Do you? <laughs>